This is Everyday Leaders. I'm your host, Melanie Ake. Everyday Leaders is an inspirational show to help you develop strategies to overcome everyday obstacles in your life. Today's guest will share the disciplines that she practices every day that allows her to achieve a life of success. Today's Everyday Leader has pure passion for inspiring others to become all that they can be at the Indianapolis Fire Department. Her endless dedication of adding value to people shows up in every area of her life. No matter what time of the day it is, she consistently creates value to those around her. These simple techniques are ones that you too can apply every day to live your life with success. Candy Key Ashby is my guest today. Everyday Leaders 50 and 50, show 32 starts now. Welcome to the program, Candy. Well, thank you very much. I am so excited. I know I say this every every week, but man, we go way back to high school, uh, middle school. <laughs> we go way back in our lives. <laughs> And we, yes, we did. That we, was just a few years ago. Just a few years ago. And we have followed our path and our love and our passion for life. And I'm so glad to have you on my journey on this show to talk about what you're doing, what you've experienced, what you're teaching. Man, people are going to really be excited to connect to you. So I don't want to make the spoiler alert, but introduce yourself, what your title, what you're doing today um, and help people connect to you. Well, uh, my name is, is Candy Ashby. I am a firefighter with the Indianapolis Fire Department. I currently hold the rank of battalion chief on the uh, south side. So I have a battalion of seven stations. Uh, we work 24 on, 48 off. So that 48 hours off, I have two uh, businesses in which I'm president. The first one is Key Fire Investigations. And um, we do private fire investigations for insurance companies, law firms, or the self-insured, or anybody just looking for a fire investigator to hire. We used to cover uh, three states. Now we're down to just Indiana because it takes a long time to be on the road and going and digging out a fire and coming back. The second business I have is a nonprofit uh, consulting business for police, fire, and EMS personnel called Elite Public Safety Consulting. And that's where we are creating an umbrella to bring people under, have value to add to our fellow um, workers. So we can leave the fire service, for example, better than what we found it. And we need some way to channel that. So a group of us got together and created that. So I do both of those companies on my days off. (laughs) I have a daughter and two grandchildren that I uh, try to see every every chance I get. I um, also have a doctorate degree in management of organizational leadership with the University of Phoenix. So I continued and always will continue to learn, but it has landed me into that role, which has taken me where I'm at now and while you're interviewing me. Wow. It, this is amazing because when I think about you know, one of my funnest memories of you is on our softball team <laughs> in high school. <laughs> and so, you know, as we developed in high school, we were so intentional about what we, you know, wanted to be able to do to add value to things. And and you were on part of the very first softball team with me at Greenwood High School. And I remember Kim Sadam and I, we go way back, right? And we petitioned 100 people so that we could have the first girls softball team at Greenwood. And that was amazing to think about, you know, you forget these things and you leave school and you get into your life and, and think, wow, we were doing those kinds of things when we were, you know, in our formative years. And so that continued to help us develop into the passion to drive and have the ability to say, all I have to do is connect people and get them around the same, you know, passions that I have. And I can take myself anywhere. And so when I look at your life and go, okay, you followed this dream. You've, you've been involved in the fire department and around, you know, volunteer services and now a not-for-profit. Like, how cool is that to say you've really fulfilled your soul? You know, things that are making you happy, you just keep doing those. 
It is. And, you know, with me, even with the fire investigation business, of course, it's nonprofit. I mean, it is for profit, but it's never been about the money for me. It's been about the mission. And going out with fire investigations, being on the forensic end, it's about finding the truth. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I've benefited and very grateful to have made money doing it, but I just more or less want to just enjoy life. Whether it's, you know, if I hit the lottery, everybody around me and my family makes fun of me because if I hit the lottery, I would get up and go to work tomorrow. Exactly. Because I absolutely love what I do. And I would not change one thing just because I have a windfall of money come in. Because I just think you have to, have, money doesn't buy happiness. And you have to pursue those goals and dreams. And when you're on that, you have that passion. It just, that's just in itself what drives you. Well, and that's a great point that you just brought up. But I was having a conversation this week, in fact, and talking about, you know, people say, well, when I get to this point, I can do this. You know, when my kids graduate, I can do this. When I graduate from college, I'll be able to have the ability or the money or the resources to do this, and I'll be happy then. Instead, you know, write what you said. The conversation should be in our own minds. I am happy today. If I won the lottery, if things changed, that's not going to change me because I am doing what I love, right? And Correct. what I've learned through my leadership training um, it recently even is, you know, it's about adding significance. And so what that means to us as leaders, right, in our communities is doing what you love allows you to then grow into how can you think about adding value to others? So take care of the things that you need, pay your house payment, you know, get the car that you need to get you from point A to point B. But the real intention and the planning goes around how can you add value to others, kind of your legacy, right? And and adding that kind of significance in the world uh, is really what our journey's about. Yeah, I totally agree. And I believe our first exposure to that is our parents for most of us. Mm-hmm. So tell me about and your we've parents. We've watched that sacrifice. Tell me about well, your parents. I, <laughs> I had a uh, little bit jealousy. I was raised by a, my mother here in Greenwood, who was not my biological mother, and my father, who was uh, also here in Greenwood. But he was married to my stepmother at the time. And then I have a biological mother that's in another state. So I have three mothers and one father. <laughs> That's why and you're so good. We all need a mother. I know, right? I have, yeah, when it came, came to Mother's Day, I was broke when uh, <laughs> that came around. But, no, it, you know, at the time, it was it seemed helter-skelter uh, to be, you know, from a broken home. However, it wasn't until later in life that I got to be an adult and look back at how that experience has put me where I'm at today. Mm-hmm. So, for example, the mother that raised me, she had three other kids with my father, and so that was my half uh, stepbrothers or half brother and sisters. But we never treated each other as half. You could not tell when I was around her that I was not her biological child. Mm-hmm. I mean, she actually put me, my myself above her children, which are a lot older. There's a big age gap there, but you know, it wasn't until I was I grew up and had my own children. And then I thought, because obviously I came from a third person that my dad had, and then I got taken over to wife number one's doorstep and dropped off, said, here, raise this child. Mm-hmm. And I put myself in that position, and I thought, what would I do if my ex-husband did that and brought his children to me and said, here, raise them? In a time that you had no money, you had three kids, you're barely making it. Um, and that really gave me a lot of respect for what she sacrificed for me. And at the same time, my father, even though everybody has their faults, he was a drinker back in the day and a gambler, but it got to a point with him that he became uh, disabled. And I took care of him for the last 15 years of his life and moved him in, him and his wife in with me because he was only given a few months to live and then he actually outlived that. Eight years later, I had to tell him, it's time to find your own place. And But I continued to take care of him, and my goal was to keep him out of a nursing home. Mm-hmm. And you could really tell, and I tell you, one thing about leadership, just the context of leadership in itself, to be a caregiver, 
of somebody else that is incapacitated in some way is probably the greatest leadership training you could ever have mm-hmm. because every your whole world revolves around that person and making their you know giving their life value and meaning and I could really tell up until dad passed away he passed away uh, two and a half years ago that he really appreciated the things that were done for him even though he had made so many mistakes in his life but one thing I always reminded him of if he hadn't made those mistakes I wouldn't be here Mm-hmm. So he did. It was, you know, <laughs> it happened, and we made the best of it. And I've had a very good relationship with with all the parents that I've had, and and, and I can't thank them enough for uh, putting me where I'm at today. Now, my mother that raised me, she passed away 11 years ago, and then Dad passed away two and a half years ago, and I take care of his wife now. My, you know, my stepmother, she's 85 years old, and and getting to the point where she's getting more needy. So I'm getting AIDS and, and things like that into her house, and I take care of her bills and her medications and things like that, and I oversee everything comes to her to make sure she has the best quality of life that she can have mm-hmm. while she's here. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's stepping up, and, you know, what your dad taught you, and I love how you touched on this, but, you know, we all talk about these fears of making mistakes and this intentionality, and we say, well, if I compare myself to others, if I, if it's not the right time, if I make a mistake, like those are things that make people feel stuck, you know, and they're afraid to change or try something where when you look back on your own life, and I don't care if you're 20, if you're 12, if you're 50, if you're 65, if you're 85, we've all gone through a process that we have done something that we thought might be the right decision. And Maybe it was, but maybe we learned from that. You know, we teach a whole series on sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. Sometimes when the outcomes aren't exactly what you intended them to be, you learn more, you know, and we teach it in, in sales training. It's if you have a great relationship with a customer, that's great, but they really don't understand how to value and appreciate you until something goes wrong. Right. And it's when those things don't always line up that you say, are you prepared to be able to then react in the way that they need you to? Right. And so through leadership, through having that personally kind of that investment in yourself, you know that as as things come to you, stress comes your way, parents are going to pass away. That's just the nature of, you know, how we evolve as humans. But knowing that the responsibility has been put into you, that now you're going to be a caregiver for other people that have been in your life. It's it's just part of your DNA. You know, you don't even think about it because you've been kind of modeled and trained for that. And And so now you're doing that not only in your life, Candy, but you're doing it at the fire department. You know, you're a leader. You are... Uh, you have leadership classes for the fire department teams so that you can teach them not only how to do their job, but how to be prepared in strategic, you know, situations and critical situations and how to help invest in value in the team themselves. Uh, Tell me about the leadership classes that you're doing at the fire department, because I think that's just so interesting for people that aren't involved in, you know, in any kind of like, other industry, they may be teachers or in hospitals or, um, you know, in factories, but fire department, the service industry, um, being on 24 hours off 48 hours, that in itself is, you know, giving up a lot for society because that's not normal. (laughs) That's not a normal schedule. And so you you have to be intentionally a leader to be in a, a service industry like this. And, and you're right, um, and we do in, in itself uh, our leaders because we're out here as public servants, whether it's police, fire, EMS, nursing, you know, the list goes on. One thing I've always, it's always bothered me. When I got in the fire service, I wanted, you know, I fell in love with it, and I wanted to learn as much as I could learn. So I took every single class there was out there and then some. And when I ran out of classes is when I started going toward my formal education. But there's there's this huge gap, uh, and it broke my heart that we do as an industry, as the fire, and I'll just use the fire service since that's what I'm in. 
we do not prepare our people to be supervisors. They don't get, you know, you're hired in as a full-time firefighter and you're put through the initial training. Firefighter 1-2 is what it's called today. And you may go through a recruit class of 26 weeks and then they put you out on a fire truck and you're called a probationary firefighter for one year. Then you go on with your career and it's just what you learn as you're out there in the company. Mm -hmm. Well, most fire departments have what's, you know, maybe five years. Once you have five years on, then you can test to be a lieutenant, which is your first line supervisor. Then three years after being a lieutenant, you can test for captain. Three years as a captain, you can test for battalion chief. So you have these incremental steps where you can go up the ladder. But there's not really any training to prepare these people to leave the back step of what we call in a fire truck, riding backwards, to coming into the front seat. Wow. So Wait a minute. That's a great um, visual. That is a great visual. So you go from literally... <laughs> looking out the backside of the fire truck yes. to then really positioning your life, positioning positioning everything that you're doing intentionally in that industry and turning around and now moving forward. Yes, and now you're leading the people that's sitting behind you. Um, one of the mantras in the fire service is, is from buddy to boss. And there's actually a, a book with that title, uh, from buddy to boss in, in fire service. Some people take that literally, believing that they can't be a buddy once they become a boss because now they're in the supervision role. And that, too, I get irritated with because we are so dependent upon the team mentality. Mm -hmm. And um, we're a family. There's no other way about it. You have your real family at home, but you have your fire department family, too. And you have to learn that it is okay to build those relationships and be a buddy. But you also have to know you have to be a boss. And you have to know when to draw those lines. And it's very blurry for people to do that. It's a big gray area. And there's not a lot of high-quality training out there to teach firefighters unless you go out to the corporate world and do it through the formalized processes in the academic. Mm -hmm. Firemen have a hard time relating the corporate world into to our world as working 24 hours a day because we don't leave it at 5 o'clock at night and go home. Um, I may have to discipline somebody, and then I'm turning around and eating dinner with them an hour later, mm -hmm. which you don't usually deal with in a corporate world. You get disciplined, and you guys, you know, everybody goes their separate ways. But in the fire department, it's a little, uh, little different. So... I started a class called Leadership from the Bottom Up, mm -hmm. being as an individual to look at yourself from the inside out, from your bottom all the way to the top, and also as an organization, that leadership comes from the bottom. So often organizations want to know, how do you build morale? How do you uh, motivate others? And they have this, this void in how to do that. And I believe it all comes down to that first-line supervisor training. And we have to let, because those people are going to naturally rise to that organization to the top. But they have to know how do you connect back to the bottom and give people say and tap into that knowledge and that ability and increase the innovation and the creativity. Mm -hmm. And all that comes through knowing how to lead other people. Absolutely. So I took this class that was really geared initially toward management training, organizational leadership, which, again, I, you know, I hate to say it, but we just don't do a good job giving management training. Everything is put under an umbrella of leadership, and then we forget about management. Mm -hmm. And we forget that, you know, with Facebook and technology today, there's a lot of signage out there that people grasp onto that say, I want to be a leader, I don't want to be a manager. And that, and I have to shake my head because when you're a supervisor, you have to manage the organizational resources because you're a supervisor in that organization. Right. So we need you to have management skills. And part of those management skills is leading others and having interpersonal relations. So I try to go in and, and educate people to how to do that, to say you are, you first and foremost have to be a manager. You have to have these four skills and you have to do these four functions over these four types of 
resources in that organization. But one part of that, the biggest part of it, is leading other people and having those interpersonal relations so you can motivate and inspire other people. Mm -hmm. And it's so hard, you know, um, and I'm a big, you know, John Maxwell trainer, and his big thing Mm -hmm. is teaching us about, you know, leadership is influence. And, And he says that every time I think we get on a call with him or at a live training, and you're, you know, you're a big follower of John Maxwell, and we've talked about that. And and so what you're bringing into the fire department is the same thing. You know, even if you're a, a beginner and you're going through these classes, learning that you have to connect and everything that you're going to do in, in the industry is going to influence your outcomes and it's going to influence other people. And so like you said, well, you have to discipline somebody and you're on the same 24-hour shift with them. You know, you've got to learn how to influence them in the best way so that they're going to have a good experience, right? And know that that's going to be a learning experience instead of, you know, how to separating kind of, you know, separating the, the, um, the, the potential, you know, of having a rift or having personality conflicts. You know, you guys depend on each other on your lives, when you're at the at a fire department, when you're in a uh, healthcare setting of any kind, EMS, fire, police, you know, you guys have your back. You are family. You have a bond. So leading through a department like that, you know, that's the cream of the crop. Like you're doing things that are really so valuable to our society. Training through that influence. Uh, and being able to establish that kind of level of credibility, you know, getting people to believe in themselves, add value, help each other, bond with each other, and know at the end of the day, you don't just walk away from it. You know, that is your, that's your your value system in your family. So, um, yeah, and most of what I teach is my own mistakes that I've made. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm saying, follow me. And I can let go on a trip with me and let me show you how to be happier and how to be more fulfilled and more grateful because don't walk in the, you know, let me tell you the mistakes that I've made so you can avoid those same mistakes. Mm-hmm. So, for example, in the supervisory role, I'm not a non-confrontation. You know, I do not like confrontation. I don't like, you know, uh, I'm very respectful of other people and just very laid-back individual. And when I first got promoted and I was an officer, Instead of telling a 25-year veteran to get off the couch and help us do house duties, Candy would just go around and do the house duties just to save face. And it wasn't until I got more mature and, and wiser that I realized that all I actually did was hurt the team around me mm-hmm. because I didn't gain that respect of the other people because I needed to stand up and say, no, it's time that you get up. And I needed to have that command present as a boss. Uh, but nobody ever taught me that. Mm-hmm. So I had to go learn it for myself. So now I'm trying to, to speed that process up for other supervisors and leaders in the fire service. But one thing, you know, I started out teaching the supervisors and how the class has taken on as actually its own identity. And now I teach the class that's based on morale building and motivation. So it's for the formal and the informal leaders. So no matter if they're in a formalized leadership position, I still teach that everyone's a leader if they so choose to be. Mm-hmm. That's so awesome. That's so needed. So how long have you been doing these classes? I started a couple of years ago with the leadership from the, from the bottom up, and it's gaining you know momentum. And I'm doing my first law enforcement version uh, class coming up here in a, in a couple of weeks where I actually take step out of the fire service and into law enforcement and see if I can go speak their language <laughs> in, in helping them understand. Because one thing about the, uh, the fire service and law enforcement and really EMS is it's a paramilitary organization. We're kind of military and we're kind of not. We have that very rigid hierarchy of structure that people don't do very well in. Mm-hmm. It's a bureaucracy. There's no other way to put it. That's what it is. But all the workers want democratic leaders. (laughs) Problem is, democracy and bureaucracy don't really go together very well. So you have to know how to navigate around that. And that's what 
being able to do that is where I really get a kick out of. And by so at the beginning of my classes, I say, "How's your morale?" And everybody's like, "Oh, it's at an all-time low. It's horrible. It's just it could do so much better." And then I ask, "Why is that? Why is your morale low when I'm talking to an entire group?" Mm-hmm. And they say, "Well, it's because of the leadership. It's because of the administration. It may be because the fire chief or police chief is just a bad leader." And it's got all of us down. And then I spend the rest of the time picking them back up and making them realize that it doesn't matter who the fire chief and police chief or your boss is. You're the only one that decides your happiness when you wake up in the morning. And your attitude has to reflect that. And so by the end of the session that we're together, they understand. And I ask them, who is in charge of, you know, who is responsible for your morale. They're all like, we are, but we never realized it. Nobody's ever told us till now mm-hmm. that we're the ones in charge of our own morale, and we're so easy and quick to blame everybody else. That... So I try to leave it on a positive note where they leave with very high morale and a, and a kick in their step. Well, and you know, and I can just tell you this from, and you hit such a great point because you think about people that are in the corporate world that go to jobs eight to five, whatever that looks like, or, you know, have different shifts um, that they're responsible for in, in, in that environment, you have a different environment. So to be able to bring those same characteristics in, right, and give people the ability to say, it's about me, my choices, if I can add value and believe in myself and my own decisions and my own um, confidence to know that if I come in in a bad mood, it's going to affect everybody else. And that will influence the, you know, really the behavior of the team. And so I can choose what that environment's going to look like every day. And that training is critical. We in corporate America anyway, don't get it enough, right? There may be lanes that you could go through for training, but being able to have that in a um, paramilitary, as you as you phrased it, which is perfect, right? It's all of the people that are that that your first responsibility is thinking about others. When that bell rings, when you're laying down at two o'clock in the morning, and that bell rings, that siren goes off, and you've got to get up and and get all of your things together in a matter of minutes, and get in line, you know, as the doors open, and you're on that fire truck. You're not thinking about your spouse, your family, <laughs> none of that. You were intentionally thinking about who am I going to go help? How am I going to do my task when I get to, you know, the next uh, the next stage? Where, where are we going? You're thinking about that other person, how you're going to help and how you're going to change and how you're going to, you know, help them survive. It's a great leadership lesson because <laughs> you're, pre- you're preparing everybody to think that way. Yes, and, and they need, you know, they need to realize. One thing I put in my classes is there. it's on Facebook, and, and but right now I apologize. I don't have the nurse's name in front of me, but there was a palliative care nurse a few years ago that did a study on her patients. And, of course, palliative care is like hospice, so it's the final six months of your life. And she interviewed her patients to find out what regrets they've had in their lives. And there was a top five themes. So I integrate this in the class of what her discovery was just about they realize now that happiness is a choice. They realize and they regret that they let friendships slip away because they got too busy in their lives. They wish they would have spent more time with their family and not work so hard. So I bring those things to light, telling people we can learn from those that went before us, mm-hmm. but we can certainly learn from those that are on their deathbed and make those changes now to have a more valuable life um, that we can produce out there and to become happier so that when we are on our deathbeds, we don't have those regrets because we know we've done everything we can for that next person. And that's one thing, you know, I love John Maxwell. I love everybody that has something offered to say and value, especially in the realms of leadership. You know, leadership is taking care of other people. And one thing I tell the firefighters when I do the class, this, you know, you need to be the best version of you so we can be a better we, so we can build a stronger us. Mm -hmm. You have that responsibility to do that. 
Nobody else can do it but you. But when you realize, when you walk in the door every day, that this job isn't about you, it's about the guy to your right and the guy to your left. Mm -hmm. When you realize that, you're off to the races as far as uh, being a leader. Mm -hmm. Well, and I want you to touch on this because we talked about this offline, but, you know, the study that showed because of the kind of environment that you're in again, right, when you're on a 24-hour shift and you, you know, you could, you do other things. Like you said, you have a couple of other companies and a lot of firemen and police are known for this. So you have other jobs or other companies because that's, that's just kind of how your life evolves. And on your off time, you, you may not just get rest, right? You may be with your family out on vacation or, or, you know, doing strenuous exercise. So you come back into this 24 hour shift and you're ready to go. You're ready to serve. And it's, you haven't had a call. It's, it's let's go back to that two o'clock in the morning, right? The alarm goes off and your, your body just kind of jumps out of your skin because, because it goes off and it wakes you up. And so the study that shows, right, the, um, the lifespan of people in service industries like that, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, there's, and I don't have the study in front of me to back it up with evidence, but it, you have, when you become a firefighter, the day that you get the badge pinned on you, it's said that you take 10 years off your life of a normal lifespan uh, of person, the average male or female, because of the stressors that the job itself brings with it. Mm-hmm. And the number one stress is getting woken up in the middle of the night uh, could be multiple times when you're going from a deep sleep to 100 miles an hour and you have that adrenaline rush. And then, not you know, you don't have time to wake up. You have to get up, and you're driving red lights and siren within a minute or two of you waking up. So you've got to hit that ground as fast as you can and, and, and go with it. So that's that's one of the things that it does reduce your, your lifespan because of that stress. So firefighters have more coronary disease, higher stroke rate, higher cancer rate, obviously, because of the smoke and the elements that we're exposed to. But yes, that that is, in fact, uh, and most firefighters, like you said, uh, and police officers have jobs on the side because we're blue collar workers. We all like to make more money, but the job itself gives us an opportunity to have that time away where we can do something else. A lot of firefighters have lawn mowing businesses, or uh, they do some type of construction, a trade that they're very good at. So they actually get to do two loves. They love to fight fire. And then they love to work with wood or work with people. Uh, there's some that are counselors uh, for autistic children and things like that. So it gives them an opportunity to kind of lead a double life mm-hmm. and have even more satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's so important because, you know, being in the service industry, you know, it is all about community. And so understanding that if you say at the time that I get my pen, I am literally taking this much time off of my life. So if I don't have it figured out and I don't understand that I'm the leader that is going to influence all of my decisions and my behavior and the outcomes, you know, for my everyday team uh, and figure out what you're going to do with the extra time that you have, those 48 hours off, man, life is short. Life is short and you don't want to wait for happiness you got to figure it out as fast as you can and figure out how to, how to put your own strengths and personality into your passion. So I love this lesson, Candy. (laughs) You're awesome. (laughs) Well, you know, a lot of, a lot of public servants, you know, we're in, I say the majority are there because they want to help others. Mm -hmm. And that in itself is, you know, the, the foundation of the foundation of leadership. It is. So it, it's just trying to point, you know, I don't really think I teach anything new. I, I just think I'm a, I give them a big kick right in the rump to pull their head out of their butt and realize the things that are in their control yep. and to take it and, and go lead, you know, and build tighter teams, build this brotherhood. And I, I spent a lot of time on brotherhood. The military's figured it out. Um, and I think we could figure it out as well. There is brotherhood, but some of it kind of gets pulled apart sometimes. And I try to get them to realize that there's no administration, there's no officers that's going to pull people together. Brotherhood. It's mm-hmm. going to take each and every one of us 
to make that effort and to want to uh, do something for somebody because they would do it throughout. That's right. And, you know, it's funny, the, the 15 invaluable laws of growth I teach a lot. One of the chapters is the law of the ladder, <laughs> and appropriate for you, right? The, the ladder. And, and we talk right. about your height of your personal growth. And, and it's really you're helping people build their character. So it's not only about their job, but it's about their character for life. And so that's really to be applauded of you thinking intentionally about what was important to you to go back to school and get your doctorate and really learn about how people can help, how the organization can be structured so that it can add value to the world. And so that's really awesome, Candy. It's just everything that you're doing. Yeah. Um, So I want to understand if you, as you do it for the Indianapolis Fire Department, but, you know, who's your model? Who do you, who do you reach out to? Who's your mentor? Um, in, in through all this every day? Well, I can't name any one person as being my mentor. I, I think really what drives me is everybody that's around me. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, it goes from the people, you know, your family, uh, even my grandkids. Uh, they <laughs> they fuel <laughs> my fire, you know, and they're three and one, Mm -hmm. but it's like just to give that happiness every time they come and they see me, I want to have the biggest smile on my face. They have the biggest smile on their face. And when I go to work, I walk in literally as the happiest person employed in Indianapolis fire department. Mm -hmm. And I want that, that happy. I want to have fun. I want to take the job seriously, but as mentoring, I just, it's so many people because I just draw off everybody else's energy mm-hmm. and it just keeps me going. And, and to do this class and to think if I can just improve, make one little bitty improvement, then it made it all worth it. Mm-hmm. If one person can change their mind, stop being a jerk or rethink themselves or become a better person, then it made it worth it because now they can affect somebody else. Mm-hmm. Well, that is so true. So what would your advice be for somebody that is considering, you know, walking into a service industry like this in in any of the law enforcement, fire, police, EMS, what would your biggest piece of advice for them be? Well, to follow their heart. That's the the biggest. You know, it's you have to want and have the desire to be in a service to help people because it's not all – uh, great times. There are many hard times that you have to go through and a lot of adversity and, and the down, just like anything else. You know, you're going to have your ups, you're going to have your downs. But if you want to, it is absolutely, I'll just say the fire department, because I've never been a police officer, it is the greatest job in the entire world. To be able, what other job can you go to? And we have, in the firehouses, we have a bedroom, we have a living room, we have a kitchen. So it is a home, it's a second home, that you can go to, you can put on shorts and t-shirts. Yes, we do have uniforms for special occasions that we wear. But more than not, if you just walked into any firehouse today and the guys are sitting around, they're sitting in shorts and t-shirts. They're playing basketball. They're playing ping pong. They're playing cards. They're telling jokes around a kitchen table and laughing all day long. When the bells go off, you get to get excited jump on a fire truck and run run lights of fire down the street where everybody's pulling out of your way <laughs> and then being able to show up on a scene and help somebody that's in, that's in the worst time of their life and you're there to solve their problem and help them, whether their house is on fire, whether it's a medical emergency, and then just that feeling, that rush that you get from helping somebody else, it makes the job just that much better. And then you come back and you get paid. You get paid to do this stuff. And so I say, go, we need more good people, but you've really got to have good people that's willing to step up and not make this about themselves, but make it about helping other people no matter what. And uh, it is, it is neat. You'd be a great I can't even describe it. (laughs) You need to be a recruiter. Are you recruiting anywhere? Do you recruit? Do you help? No. (laughs) I don't, but I tell you what, it is. One thing that I do tell the firemen in my class is to remember what it felt like the day you got that letter that said, congratulations, you're hired. Because the application process in the public safety arena is a very long process to go through. 
you know, you take a written exam and then you may wait two months to go back and take a physical agility and wait two months to go back and take an interview. And each step along the way, you receive a letter until you receive that final letter that says, congratulations, all of the stuff that you've worked for for months. It's not like a regular job interview that you go find out within the week whether or not you got the job. But you get that. And I tell people, remember what that felt like. Remember when you're running with that paper telling everybody that will listen that you've got the job of your life. And don't ever forget that. Mm -hmm. We seem to, you know, the longer we're away, we forget that. Mm -hmm. So it's bringing that back and being excited about it. You know, we talked about us being back in high school on the softball team. Tonight, you can you can turn on the TV on the news, and when they they talk about the football results from Friday night football or baseball or whatever's in high school, they always scan the crowd, and you have all of these kids that's painted up, decorated up. They're jumping up and down. You have a lot of team spirit, and you see it at the collegiate level as well mm-hmm. with college football. What happens to that team spirit after school? Mm-hmm. So it's driving that team spirit and getting that back into our core, our, our work, our organizations, and saying, "Wow!" It, the, the best uh, story I have recently is a newer firefighter. He's a probationary firefighter. I ran into him uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I he went to another battalion, and I asked him what it was like, and he said, "Oh my gosh, chief," he said. I went to this one particular firehouse, and we had so much fun. We, I didn't even know what time it was. I don't even know if I got any sleep. But the <laughs> thing about it was I didn't want it to end. Mm-hmm. I, I was sad at 8 o'clock in the morning when I had to go home mm-hmm. because I didn't want it to end. Wow. That's when you know you've got the best job in the world. Yes, and that's the kind of environment you want to be able to have everywhere no matter what you're doing in life exactly you, right Why you not can create that everywhere yeah yeah so tell me a little bit because i don't want to forget this because there's a lot of volunteer firemen and women yes. and and so even mm-hmm. though you don't go through the application process or do you if you're a volunteer what's that look like well you do go through a process because you have to have the same fundamental training to be on a fire truck whether you're a volunteer or career Career, it's a longer process to get hired at a fire department. In a volunteer, typically you go down to your local fire department and you put an application and they vote you on or the fire chief will make a determination to put you on. But then you still go through some fundamental training, uh, firefighter one, uh, EMT, it, to be on there. But I tell you what, I, I started out as a volunteer. And it was literally, that's when I really, truly fell in love with it because everybody that was there wanted to be there Mm -hmm. because they weren't being paid for it so it wasn't a job it truly was a calling Mm -hmm. and to i you know 80 percent of america is made up of volunteer firefighters wow and without them um you know it's it it, you just we can't put it up because now not only are they going to their full-time jobs which a lot of them started out you know in rural communities as farmers where they're farming for 12 to 15 hours a day but then when somebody has an emergency, they drop everything, and they go to that person, and they help them. Mm-hmm. I mean, how, it is really, really a neat experience. And that's when we need more of our paid firefighters to come from the volunteer community mm-hmm. because that plants the seed of where it's not just about the job. It's not about the paycheck. It's about the mission. Mm-hmm. And I always felt when I was a volunteer, I was a professional because it's a mindset and how you conduct yourself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely a mindset. And it's, you know, it's mm-hmm. trying those things that maybe you think, hey, I have interest in helping the community. And there's a lot of fire departments, you know, in, in your local area that, you know, if people have interest in this, I, I guess the message from this is if you are thinking about it, if you've thought about it at ever in your life and you have interest, check it out. Because it really does give you the ability to connect to your community, to have this kind of, you know, this new level of, of hope and restoration and, and teamwork and bonding like never before. And if, oh, absolutely. And there are people that are looking for things like that in their life, but they forget, you know, you can volunteer at a lot of places. It doesn't have to be a fire department mm-hmm. or a police department. 
but go get involved in things that you're you think could build your own passion around and start living yep. that life of success because it is about your mindset. You just said it. It's about your own mindset, your decision to act, not to think about it, but to act. Let that fire alarm go off, right? Let that siren, let that that next symbol go off in your life that says, act, act now, do it, jump up. Don't hesitate. It Life, Absolutely. Is, life just, is short. It's just like the uh, reservists that we have in the military. Where would we be without that mm-hmm. Army National Guard people that, you know, have other jobs? So it's the same, uh, you know, along the same lines. So we really are really founded on a lot of volunteerism. And like you said, you know, find something that you're passionate about and go volunteer and do it. And go do it. And go do it. Mm-hmm. So, so tell me before we go, do you have um, the ability to go to fire departments around the country and train? Are you just for the Indianapolis Fire Department? How does that work if people want to connect to you? Well, I don't actually. Tra- I'm, I'm employed by the Indianapolis Fire Department, but I don't actually do the training there. They have their own training division. So, the company that uh, the nonprofit company, Elite Public Safety Consulting. We are, uh, can go anywhere. So all the training that I do, I usually do it in neighboring fire departments around, and, and we can certainly go across the country. We haven't done that yet because we're fairly new and we're just getting started and getting off the ground. Um, but absolutely, any, any chance I have to try to, to uh, bring value, I certainly want to do that, if, if, even if it's just teaching somebody that the mistakes that I've made so they don't, they don't walk you know, down that same path and they can avoid that and become leaders faster and become more knowledgeable and and wiser at a younger age. Well, and I think it's so important and I I really appreciate you being on the podcast because, you know, we've been talking about this since uh, January. (laughs) You have, and I appreciate your patience. (laughs) It's trying to chase me down because my schedule's so hectic. But, you know, you you (laughs) were somebody that in my life I thought, man, you have really – just formulated uh, what leadership is about, what you do to Im- improve your own leadership. You're constantly learning. You're pushing yourself, you know, to the limits. You're giving back. You believe in everything that you preach. You you live and walk the talk. And it's just amazing to really be continuing to be connected to you, but so proud of your accomplishments. And I really wanted to celebrate you and and share what you're doing. Uh, you've had your promotion since, you know, since we even started talking about this, you received your promotion this year. And and that's what it's about. You know, once you start adding value to your life, you can add value to so many other people. And so I want to help you do that, whatever that looks like for you across the Indiana, across the country, you know, people need to connect to you and your credibility and your professionalism and your passion so thank you for being on the program, really, from the bottom of my heart. Well, thank you for doing what you're doing because you are doing the same exact thing. I, I mean, that's like, you know, if we can all come together and, and, and we're going to be stronger as a team and going out and doing this, and you're using technology like this podcast to get the information out, Facebook. I see you constantly. Every time I pick up my phone, I see something that you're doing, and it's such it's such a tremendous value that you're adding and I appreciate everything that you're doing as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, if anybody, you know, if anybody's interested, I'm always free to chat. Um, if anybody has anything that I can help them with or try to answer, I, I certainly don't have all the answers in the world, but I can certainly help somebody try to point them in the right direction that they can go to elitepublicsafety.com and find my email address there and reach out and get in touch with me or on Facebook or LinkedIn or anywhere else. And, uh, and I'll certainly do what I can to, to help anybody. Perfect. Well, I'm going to post all of your stuff, how we can connect to you. Um, this podcast will release its show 32 out of 50. So Candy, I hope that we can get you off of your schedule on March 2nd to come to the leadership summit, because I really want people to be able to connect to you, hear your story, hear a little bit about you, uh, live and um, and really understand your passion. So, man, thanks again. Have a great, fantastic weekend. 
Uh, be safe out Thank there, you. and let's get you connected to everybody in the in the world that can connect to you, because they need to feel the energy. <laughs> Yeah, well, and thank you for yeah. everything that you're doing. And I do have March 2nd marked off yeah. on my calendar to, to be there, to do what I can to help you spread the word. And that's what you got to be surrounded by people that are willing to help you. And I'm certainly very grateful for what you're doing. Awesome. Well, have a great weekend, and we will catch up soon, Candy. Okay, thank you. Uh-huh. Uh, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Everyday Leaders 50 and 50 Leadership Summit is coming to Indianapolis, Saturday, March 2nd, 2019. Join me along with the 50 and 50 guest from Everyday Leaders 50 and 50 podcast. This exclusive event will take place at the beautiful New Fields Indianapolis Museum of Art on Saturday, March 2nd, 2019. You won't want to miss this one-of-a-kind leadership workshop where you will personally engage with these 50 leaders and learn how to apply their strategies to live your life with success. Don't miss this opportunity. You can be a part of this exclusive inaugural leadership summit here in Indianapolis, March 2nd, 2019. Remember, there's limited space available, so reserve your spot now. If you know of anyone that would be interested in sponsoring this exclusive event, please have them contact me directly at make at makeconnectionsforlife.com. Thank you for following the podcast of Everyday Leaders 50 and 50.